Hi guys, welcome to the first episode of Keeping Up With The Classics. I'm your host Maddie Bell and I'm joined by my best friend Farabi Pushpita to bring you today's episode. As you guys can probably tell from the title, today we're going to be discussing Euripides' Medea. So I'm going to hand over to Farabi to give us a summary of the story of Medea for those who aren't familiar with it. Hi guys, this is Farabi and this is a whistle-stop tour um, about the myth of Medea. Disclaimer, a lot of murder. So Medea was the daughter of King Aetes of Colchis. She was also a sorceress and the granddaughter of Helios, the god of the sun. Um, so she fell in love with Jason, who you might know as the famous hero Jason and the Argonauts. So some context to Jason, he was the son of King Aethon, because the Greeks were very original with their names, <laughs> and um, he was basically the prince of this um, kingdom called Iolcus, but his half-uncle, I believe, or maybe full-blooded uncle, um, Peleath, he usurped the throne from his father, and he said to Jason, look, if you want your throne back, you have to go and retrieve successfully the Golden Fleece, which was an impossible task, so really, he was just sending him off to his death. So Jason goes to Colchis, which is where the Golden Fleece is, and Medea falls in love with him, and she um, she vows uh, her help to him, and her father says to Jason that he has to complete three impossible tasks in order to get the Golden Fleece. So the first task is that he has to... Um, he has to yoke these fire-breathing oxen and plough a field with them. But Medea gives him this magical ointment, which he puts on his body and his weapons. So the flames don't affect him and he's fine. The second task is that he has to plant dragon teeth into the ground and an army of warriors springs up. But luckily, Homeboy knew what was going to happen because <laughs> Medea warned him. So... What he does is he has this brilliant idea. He gets this rock and he throws it amidst the warriors. And because they're not exactly the, the sharpest tool in the shed, they're like, oh, my God, who threw that? And they start fighting amongst each other <laughs> and kill each other, thus making Jason's life a lot easier. So then the third and final task is that Jason has to kill the sleepless dragon, which guards the golden fleece. But never fear, Medea gives him some magical herbs, which puts the dragon to sleep, and Jason just kills it, and he gets the, go uh, the golden fleece. But of course, Medea knows that she's going to be in deep trouble when her father learns of the fact that she's literally helped this stranger and betrayed their kingdom. So they hop off a ship, they hop onto a ship, sorry, and they sail off with, um, with, uh, with her father hot on their trails. So Medea does what any woman in her situation would do. She decides to murder her brother, dismember him, and scatter his body parts into the sea so that her father has to stop and collect all the individual bits of her brother so that he can have a proper burial. That's so grim. I know, it is. Uh, it takes sibling rivalry to a whole other level, <laughs> if you ask me. So Medea and Jason manage to get away, and um, they... They basically land on the island of Circe, who's this other really famous, powerful sorceress, and also coincidentally the aunt of Medea. And basically they stop there because Medea has to be absolved of her sin of killing her brother so she can continue leading a good life with Jason. So, <laughs> uh, so after that, which is basically a get-out-of-jail-free card, um, they continue onwards to Crete, and once they get near Crete, basically Crete is guarded by this giant bronze man called Talos. And the interesting thing about him is that he has 
a single vein in his body that actually has itchor, which is godly blood flowing through it, as opposed to, you know, normal blood. And um, Medea decides to remove the nail that keeps the itchor into his vein, which honestly doesn't sound like a very foolproof way of <laughs> living. So I don't really know how Talos functioned his entire life. But anyway, so she takes that out and he bleeds to death. Um, so <laughs> Medea and Jason managed to successfully land on Crete. And this is where um, Jason's dad, Aeson, has been taking refuge. But he's very sick and he's very old. So Jason begs Medea, like, please, please save my father. So Medea, um, what she does is she takes all of Aeson's blood out of his body, infuses magical herbs into them and puts it back into his body, um, thereby reinvigorating him. And, you know, modern medicine just could never even dream of that. So <laughs> it completely works. And Jason's really grateful to her. And onwards they sail back to Iolcus, where they show Peleas the golden fleece. And, and Jason's like, look, I've done what you asked me to do. Can I please have the throne? And Peleas says, psych. So he doesn't <laughs> get the throne. Get wrecked. But, I know, all that. And Medea is not happy because if you think about it, this woman has betrayed her kingdom and killed her brother all for this. Yeah. But Peleas has two daughters. Um, actually, I don't know if they if they're two or not. Yeah, they are two, sorry. So he, he has two daughters and um, they've heard what Medea did for Aeson and they say to Medea, look, our dad's also really old and sick, so could you please do the same thing? And Medea says, sure. All you need to do is chop your dad into little pieces and I'll put him in a pot. I'll put some magic herbs in and I'll then put him back together and he'll be as good as new. We'll make that his, soup. Exactly. And his daughters are like, that sounds legit. So, <laughs> so they do do that. They chop, they chop their own father into little pieces. And I don't know if anybody else is getting the vibe that Medea has a serious <laughs> thing for dismemberment, but I certainly am. So, um, they chop her, um, their father into little pieces, and um, he remains very much dead. Um, <laughs> I want to know what the thought process was as they were doing that. Like, as they were casting up, thinking, yeah, this is a brilliant idea. This is definitely going to help our dad. Exactly. And I do not want to imagine what Peleas was going through at that moment. <laughs> no. But unfortunately for Jason and Medea, Peleas has a son who finds out about this, and he, you know, understandably loses his mind, and he says, <laughs> get out so they're ousted from Iolcus and they go to Corinth and they seek refuge there they have um a few kids there and basically Jason comes up with this brilliant plan because they're basically fugitives there they don't really have much protection so Jason thinks to himself I know what I'll do I'll marry um Glaus the princess of Corinth and in return I'll get protection which is definitely not the right path to go on when your wife is an unhinged homicidal <laughs> woman. Yeah. So that's what he chooses to do. He tells Medea it does not go over well and they have a humongous fight, uh, but Jason goes ahead with it anyway. So Medea starts plotting her revenge. She sends this, um, she sends a dress and a coronet to Glaus and her father Crayon. And um, it's actually poisoned, so they both die. But this is only the beginning of Medea's murderous rampage. <laughs> because if you thought that was bad, oh boy. Medea <laughs> it then just decides, gets better. 
<laughs> yeah, it really does. Medea then decides, how can I make Jason truly suffer for what he's done to me? And she thinks, I can't kill him because that won't hurt him enough. So she decides to kill their kids instead. Um, and that definitely does hurt Jason a lot. Um, but basically, because Medea is the granddaughter of Helios, she doesn't really face the repercussions of her actions because he holds in chariots and Medea can flee. So that's what she does. Um, and then after that, she then flees to Athens, where she settles down with King Aegis, and she has another son called Medus. However, many years later, a man called Theseus rocks up on the um, rocks up into Athens, and you guys might know the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur, but that's a whole other story. But Theseus is basically the long lost son of Aegis, but father and son don't recognize each other. Medea does, and she knows that she has to get rid of Theseus if she wants her son Medus to become the next heir. So she decides to poison him, but at the last moment, Aegis recognizes. Um, he recognises Theseus by the sword that he's carrying and knocks over the cup before Theseus can drink it. Um, so it doesn't end well for Medea because then she's ousted from Athens as well because nobody wants this crazy serial killer. <laughs> Fair enough. So Medea grabs her son, uh, Medus, and this is where there are two possible endings to the myth because there are so many different versions. Some say that Medea and Medus, they go to modern-day Iran and they settle down there among the locals, amongst the locals, and they um, rename themselves the Maidas. But other, another version of the myth says that she goes back to Colchis, where she finds out that her uncle, Persis, has taken over the throne from her father. He's usurped it um, and, and, um, in a way that was not legitimate. And um, she loses her mind and she kills him as well and restores her father to the throne, which, hello, parallels to Jason. <laughs> and yeah, basically she just continues living with her son. Either way, she doesn't really face any flack for what she's done. Cool. Thank you so much for such an amazing summary, Faraby. So let's have a chat about Medea. Uh-huh. Medea, what a complicated character. I know. If you could try and summarise Medea in one word, what would it be? Oh. <laughs> I know, that's such a mean question. That is a very loaded question. I think I would say impulsive, honestly. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. She's just so... Oh, she's unlike any other woman that we've really traditionally seen in the kind of patriarchal society that is ancient Greece. Yeah, especially considering the fact that she's literally spent her entire lifetime travelling and, you know, increasing her body count only <laughs> to really face very minimal consequences for it. I know. So it's very interesting that this is the way that the myth went. Yeah, I feel like she's very male in that sense in the sense that her story is kind of almost like an epic in the sense that there's lots of traveling there's lots of like witchcraft and fighting and murder um uh-huh. I, I saw a really interesting quote about Medea I can't remember the name of the author I'll probably try and credit it somewhere later on but um he said that one of the reasons Medea is so unique is that she embodies typically male characteristics and I thought that was really really interesting because I think he's bang on because when you think of Medea you think of someone who's really smart cunning ruthless and you don't usually associate that with your usual Greek woman yeah definitely not usually 
usual Greek women were these timid, docile, subservient things that just spent their days weaving oh my God. and didn't really have much agency beyond that, you the know? <laughs> so yeah and I also think it's very interesting the fact that Medea has partly divine blood and yes. I think that is the reason why she gets away with the things that she gets away with because if you think about Clytemnestra who's another very unhinged woman who yeah. murders her own husband and she definitely faces the repercussions of that in the form of her own son murdering her because yes. she is fully mortal but it seems that when you have part divine blood it's almost like you're not really constrained by this in the same way that um typical mortal women were constrained yeah definitely you kind of have like a divine safety net if you've got parentage or just any kind of lineage that is non-mortal immortal sorry exactly it's very interesting it is very interesting um so yeah, I think we've kind of touched on her role of a woman in an ancient patriarchal society. If we were to compare her to someone like Penelope from the Odyssey, they're just so different, aren't they? Definitely. I think one of Penelope's defining characteristics is her loyalty, yeah. her unswerving loyalty to her husband, Odysseus. And she is also very intelligent, like Medea. They do share a lot of similarities. They can think on their feet. Yeah. They can manipulate people, like how Penelope manipulated the suitors. Oh, definitely. Um, and Medea, <laughs> Give me all your gifts. <laughs> Definitely. And Medea herself manipulates many people along her way. But the difference between them is that Medea is not loyal because she she doesn't even hold familial loyalty to her own children. I know. She has no qualms with killing them for revenge. And she has no she has no qualms with killing her brother or betraying her father. This is not a loyal woman. This is not a woman who will die for you. She thinks about herself. Yeah, absolutely. Like and comparing her again to Penelope and like their intelligence, the way Medea manipulates people is so different. So where Penelope would manipulate the suitors into being like, hey, why don't you guys give me some nice presents and then I'll think about marrying one of you. Medea's like, hey, why don't you guys chop up your dad and make him into soup? Trust me, this is a brilliant <laughs> idea and you will not regret it whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. It's almost that like you need like a warranty to come with Medea. Like, this is 100% what is going to happen, fam. <laughs> yeah, 100% guaranteed destruction if you get involved with Medea. It's, she's so interesting though because at the same time we know that she is such an awful character because she commits so many atrocities but the way she's written means you do kind of empathize with her don't you yeah I mean this is an excellent segue into my Barabi versus the patriarchy <laughs> segment <laughs> but basically yeah you do sympathize with Medea because she's less of a villain and more of an extremely morally ambiguous anti-hero in a yeah, sense yeah. because if you think about it Medea does all that she does right up until killing her children all for the sake of love she betrays everybody that she knows for Jason she goes to so many extreme lengths like she'd go to the ends of the world if he asked her to yeah. but she is she also very quickly turns on him because he doesn't respect her in the same way. When they have their humongous fight, when Jason says that he wants to marry Glaus, Jason really does not handle the situation strategically and he doesn't, he takes Medea for granted because he doesn't properly thank her. All he can really do is basically slut shame her and he <laughs> makes this absolutely ludicrous comment that 
women are basically sex crazed all they care about is um physical intimacy and he says that the only reason medea has a problem with jason marrying another woman while she's still here married to jason is because she won't have access to jason in the same way which if you think about all that medea's lost for him it's it really doesn't sit well with her yeah understandably but i suppose we can cut jason some slack because in his mind he was acting by marrying glaus in order to secure them both sanctuary wasn't he yeah and he was doing it to protect their kids as well the kids that medea ended up murdering exactly. so he was in his mind acting as a family man even if he went about it the wrong way with medea yeah, he definitely took the wrong approach with a woman who is that unstable. But if we were to defend Jason's actions here, yes, I know I'm going to play devil's advocate because I think Jason kind of is the villain of this story in, in many ways. He does act pretty logically by trying to secure safe, like, safe homage, sanctuary. I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. But I suppose in his mind, everything he does is totally justified because he's just acting with his family's interests at heart. Yeah, exactly. And also Medea's actions might even come across as being overly clingy to him because yeah. even though he's marrying Glaus, Medea is still his wife and he still does love Medea. He does not love Glaus. Yeah. He's only doing this to give them a safe refuge for uh, so that their children can have a future here. Yeah, so, exactly. I yeah. hate to be like, Oh my god, I cannot believe that I'm standing up for the patriarchy here. But in such a patriarchal society, I guess it's kind of more understandable that Jason wouldn't really understand Medea. Because let's be honest, it's not like ancient Greek men were known for their empathy and kindness towards Greek <laughs> women and undying respect for them. So, Yeah, I think the biggest flaw in Jason and Medea's relationship was their uh, lack of ability to um, connect with each other. Yeah. And Medea really tried, and she did do many, she sacrificed a lot for him, but Jason just fell a little bit short of the mark because men just weren't raised in the same way. In his mind, he's acting in the best interests of, his, of himself and his family, and what Medea should be doing is supporting him and being quiet. Yeah, I suppose Jason is a form of hero in the other stories. And I don't think heroes are really known for gratitude. And for a male hero to be grateful to a woman, it would just be so out of the ordinary in a patriarchal society as they existed in. So I think it is kind of fair enough that he does not get on Medea's wavelength at all. Exactly. And it would be it would be inconceivable for even a regular man. But Jason, he is a hero. Yeah. He went off with his buddies, the Argonauts. He's fought a lot and he's really worked hard also to get them where they are. So in his head, in his head, he's thinking that his physical prowess and all that he's done isn't something that Medea can compete with. Yeah. He's probably thinking like, sis, I'm a blessing to you. You should be more grateful. You've got yeah. a hunky chunk of hero on your hands here. Have some respect. <laughs> exactly. And that is definitely the kind of condescending tone that comes across in his argument. Their arguments were so imbalanced. Medea's being like, look at how much emotional abuse you pulled me through. And he's being like, well, you can't live without me because you're just a needy woman who's sexually frustrated. <laughs> exactly. And I think he's also coming from the angle where he didn't exactly tell Medea to become a serial killer for him. Yeah. He asked Medea for his for her help getting the golden fleece and also um restoring his father to good health. But the yeah. rest of it was all Medea and it actually got them into more trouble than it did yeah. good in the long run. 
So he's probably more than a bit bitter and also probably freaked out by yeah. his murderous wife with homicidal tendencies. He's probably thinking this is absolutely not what I signed up for when I said, can I have some help here? <laughs> like, this is... Yeah. He was probably like, all I needed from you, sis, is your magical herbs. Nothing else. I didn't sign up for the murder and the bloodshed. Literally, I did not sign up to see your brother get dismembered, a king get dismembered, melting crowns and poison chalices. This is not not what I signed up for at all. Could you imagine anything even remotely similar to this happening in the modern world today? Well, actually, interestingly enough, Medea isn't as far removed from the present as we might believe it to be. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched Dr. Foster. It was on BBC iPlayer. It's on Netflix right now. And it has Jodie Comer in it. Jodie Comer. I think we're going to have to make another link between Jodie Comer and another modern parallel to Medea in a minute. Oh, yes. You can take that one. I'll take take Dr. Foster. (laughs) Because Dr. Foster has a really, um, it has a really similar approach to Medea in a sense. Um, basically, Dr. Foster is about this woman who finds out that her husband is cheating on her. And there is this one point in the first season where the series almost takes um, a Medea-inspired direction, where you think that she might murder her son to get back at her husband and no spoilers as to whether what the outcome of that is but it's just really interesting because when you're watching the show you don't you do of course you're horrified by the fact that Gemma the protagonist would even consider this but you don't entirely condemn her because at the end of the day human nature is human nature whether it's in antiquity or in modern day and if you delve into it and you explore all the sides to it and all the complexities to it it actually starts to make a lot more sense and you start to feel sympathetic like it's not easy for you to just sit there and condemn these women for what they think or even yeah I totally agree I think it's interesting isn't Jodie Comer the other woman in this Dr Foster yeah she definitely is um I think Jodie Comer Jodie Comer is really pulling all these modern threads together for us because Jodie Comer stars in another tv show called Killing Eve which I saw on a really interesting Q&A uh it was a Medea discussion kind of thread thing on an Instagram Instagram account called Cozzy's Odyssey she's absolutely brilliant and you guys should definitely check her out um somebody made a really interesting parallel between Medea and Villanelle who's the kind of main character in Killing Eve played by Jodie Comer um because Villanelle and Eve who is an MI6 agent and Villanelle is a kind of psychotic assassin have this really weird cat and mouse uh would you call it a love relationship Barbie? I would honestly call it a love-hate relationship. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely a love-hate relationship. But somebody made a really interesting point about Villanelle being so like Medea in the sense that they're both incredibly um, intelligent and powerful women, but they still have these horrific psychotic tendencies. Yet the way they're written means you can't help but love them. You do support them and you kind of empathise with them a lot. And I think there is an interesting parallel to be made between the fight between Medea and Jason. And, um, oh, this is a slight spoiler for you guys. So if you haven't seen the end of Killing Eve season two, zone out now or tune out right now. You know, when when Villanelle is faced with the fact that Eve might not want her, she can't, like, accept it. 
exactly like it's such if you think about it Villanelle has become so caught up and um engrossed in her fascination her attraction to Eve that when Eve flat out rejects her it's something that her mind can't even compute yeah she just can't process it at all yeah it's similar to Medea because when Medea is faced with her entire life and all that she sacrificed for Jason to get here and for him to basically disrespect and reject her in such a way she just can't believe it I know it's really interesting they both have the same kind of impulsive reaction in the sense that Medea goes completely bonkers and decides to go after their kids in an attempt to hurt her and Villanelle goes after Eve more literally and just shoots her because they both have that same there's something isn't really firing right in their brains in the sense that they can't process rejection or almost disrespect like that someone else can't appreciate everything they've sacrificed for that individual and they both have that same impulsive chaotic and ultimately very destructive reaction I thought that was an interesting parallel yeah and also there's definitely I feel like an element of a power imbalance in the sense that they both feel like the other person the love interest should feel indebted towards them exactly that's not how a normal, healthy, romantic relationship should operate. But yeah. it does. It, that is all they can think about in their limited world. I know. They do both have very self-centred mindsets, don't they? They can't really empathise with others. Yeah, and they they also choose to operate uh, solely on self-interest. They're motivated yeah. by what benefits them. They are. I think I saw an interesting quote it was basically the way a lot of people justify Medea's actions is that I think you said it earlier as well she does it out of love um yeah and I think actually in the show Villanelle does say sometimes when you love someone you'll do crazy things I just thought it was so interesting how the two characters their actions get justified for the same exact reasons like love and their very warped views of it admittedly does drive them to do what they do, as chaotic as it might be. Yeah, and adding on to that, I also feel that also in Killing Eve, when uh, Villanelle says at one point to Constantine that Eve and her, they're the same. And I also feel like that is very applicable to Medea because Jason is a hero. He is not a saint. He's not squeaky clean. He has also taken lives. Admittedly, their monster lives are not human lives when he can help it but at the end of the day they both have this innate sort of um urge to kill what is in their way to get through to what they need to get yeah i agree i think it's so interesting how despite this myth being so many hundreds of thousands of years old it still has so much relevancy today and it still has a lot of influence on our entertainment and the stories and shows that we obsess about and love today yeah, and I also feel like the the reason why we can't why we're so drawn towards Medea and Villanelle or Gemma, the reason why we're so attracted to these women is because they're so compelling. They're so three dimensional. You can't pigeonhole them into a single box. Yeah. So even we see their dreams, their desires, their their happiness, but also their rage, and it just it, when you put it all together, it's such a heady combination that. You can't you can't just categorize them as in binary terms of good or bad because yeah. there's so much more than that. I agree. They're so multifaceted. It's so hard to um, almost label them because I know that if I've ever had to try and explain Villanelle's character, I think I was struggling a little bit with it earlier. 
Calling her a psychotic assassin, while it's not wrong, it's not entirely right in the sense that a lot of what she does is logical to her. It makes sense to her, you know? Yeah. And also I think something about the Linnell, which I'm not really sure if it's entirely applicable to Medea herself, is that there is a strange sort of almost childlike charm to her. Yeah, I see that an awful lot. I see that in her. That might just be Jodie Comer being absolutely amazing actress but I do see that side to her as you can see we are obsessed with Jodie Comer in this household <laughs> yeah, this podcast is actually just a secret Jodie Comer fangirl station <laughs> it's just a stand account labelled as a classics podcast <laughs> so yeah I think that'll probably wrap things up for today's episode thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode I hope you all really enjoyed it Farabee have you got any last things to say I just want to say that to those listening, please don't please don't let your main takeaway from this episode be that we're justifying murder because murder is bad in all, in all cases. It's bad. Please don't kill anybody. Yeah, we do not support murder. Please don't use this podcast as an excuse to do so. Right. Thank you very much for joining me today, Farabee. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Oh,